Welcome back to Spectrum Sundays, where we introduce professionals and self-advocates who play an important role in the autism community. We also love to highlight the women behind the Miss America organization and showcase all that they do for our communities. And this week, we're excited to welcome a fellow Miss America sister, Kylie Shepard, who serves her community as Miss Olympics under the Miss Washington Scholarship Organization. Thank you for being with us today, especially having to get up so early since you're on the opposite side of the country. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Um, yeah, of course. And could you start by giving us a brief resume of your education and your experiences as a Miss America title holder? Yeah, um, so currently I have my master's degree in forensic psychology from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Um, and I recently made the decision to go back to school so that I could become a licensed therapist in my state because I've been working as a mental health clinician for the last year. Um, and then I've been competing in the Miss America organization um, for the last 10 years. Um, I started out as a team contestant um, and then a Miss candidate. Um, and this is actually my first local title. So I'm really excited to get my chance to go to state this year as I'm pretty close to aging out of the competition at this point. Wow, that is amazing. I, this is actually my first local title as well. So I feel the excitement for you and I'm so glad that you persisted and you never gave up on your dream. Did you always compete in Washington? Yes, I've always competed in Washington and um, almost exclusively in Grace Harbor County. <laughs> Awesome. That's so great. Thank you. That is so cool. And congratulations on your title this year. And who knew that you would end up having two years to serve as Miss Olympics. So amazing. So happy for you with that. So as a Miss America title holder, um, all of us are encouraged to advocate for a cause that we're passionate about. And we typically call this a social impact initiative. And yours is called Overcoming Adversity, Shining a Light on Invisible Disabilities. So could you tell us a little bit more about that and some of the things that you hope to accomplish through it? Um, yeah, so um, I recently made the decision to um, broaden um, my social impact initiative a little bit more. So I used to focus exclusively on um, dyspraxia awareness as that's the diagnosis that I have. Um, but then I was realizing how much um, people with other invisible disabilities were really relating to me when I would open up and share my story. Um, so I decided to try to broaden it a little bit so that I can include some of those people who were um, already looking up to me. Um, and I just kind of really hope to, you know, get out and spread awareness um, about the importance of inclusion. Um, I've, you know, this week is actually Invisible Disabilities Awareness Week. So I've been doing a lot of posts on my social media, some of which have been uh, reposted on the Invisible Disability Association page. So that's pretty cool. Congratulations. That's such an honor. And um, could you tell us a little bit more about the Invisible Disabilities organization that you mentioned? Um, yeah, so they do a, um, a lot of work spreading awareness um, and, you know, advocating for different laws and inclusion. Um, so one of the things that they're working on is like an optional, like, um, putting it on your ID card that you have an invisible disability. So when you get pulled over that law enforcement will know that they need to interact with you a little bit differently because that's obviously um, been a problem in our country with um, officers not always being well-trained in um, dealing with people with different disabilities. In particular, we hear a lot about um, violence used against people on the autism spectrum. Thank you for sharing that. 
Yeah, and I'm really glad that you made that connection to the autism community because I do think that there can be a lot of overlap and we'll get into that a little bit more later. But I think to set the foundation for our viewers, could you tell us a little bit more about what falls under the term invisible disability and how you define it in your own terms? Yeah, so an invisible disability is pretty much any like um, disorder, illness, symptom um, that just makes your life harder to live that like looking right at a person, you wouldn't be able to tell that they have it. Um, so this can be anything from like mental health diagnoses to neurological conditions to things like diabetes and multiple sclerosis, um, just pretty much anything that somebody can't see that makes your life um, harder to live. Um, so like I have a neurological condition that affects my speech and fine and gross motor skills, but obviously you can't tell that when you look at me. Right. Thank you for clarifying that. And I think that's so important for especially our viewers, but just the community in general who might not be aware of these invisible disabilities actually existing, because it is so easy to pass judgment if someone acts or sounds a certain way, but there's not a direct connection for how they look. So there are some disabilities that have an obvious physical difference. Um, but it's so important that we, we really hit on this idea that there are other things that people struggle with that aren't so outward in appearance, but we still need to be compassionate toward people who might be battling their own struggles underneath the surface. So thank you so much. That is so important. Um, so you talked a little bit about your own diagnosis. Um, we wanted to ask a little bit about where this passion of advocating on behalf of individuals with invisible disabilities began and maybe where that, where that point was where you felt comfortable enough to talk about it yourself. Because I know that many people with disabilities or that have struggles of their own, it takes them a while to really process it and be able to talk about it out loud. So what did that look like for you? Yeah, so I actually got my diagnosis in the third grade, which is um, really late for people getting a dyspraxia or verbal apraxia diagnosis. Um, I was diagnosed by a speech language pathologist at my school um, who just happened to be very well educated on dyspraxia and said that I most likely have the global diagnosis, but could only diagnose me with the um, speech part of it, um, being a speech language pathologist. And at the time in Washington state, there wasn't a neurologist in my state that would be able to give me the global diagnosis. Um, so she did a really great job of advocating for me with the school um, and made sure that I was treated as if I had the global diagnosis and got all the assistance that I needed. Um, but you know, kids are kind of mean and, um, you know, when you're young, having something that makes you different, you kind of get picked on a little bit. Um, so I did everything I could when I was young to just kind of pretend that I didn't have this thing, that it didn't exist. Um, I refused to use a lot of my accommodations, even though I needed them, uh, just because I didn't want to be different. Um, so it's actually over my years of competing in the Miss America organization that I became confident enough to talk about it. So my first year competing as a teen, um, one of my judges asked me where I was born because I sounded different, um, like what country I was from. And so I had to tell them like, no, I have, a, I have this condition that makes me talk a little bit differently. Like I'm in speech therapy. And they spent pretty much my entire interview talking about that. And I walked out like almost crying. Like I did not want my judges to know that I had something that made me different. Um, so the next year I was encouraged to actually put it on my paperwork. So like, you know, they know about it right out front. 
and same thing sort of happened. So like my first like four years I competed, my social impact initiative was actually um, Relay for Life. <laughs> and um, after realizing how interested other people were, I decided to learn more about my own diagnosis um, and actually learned about like several celebrities that share my diagnosis, like Daniel Radcliffe. And I'm a huge Harry Potter yeah. fan. So that meant so much to me that like Harry <laughs> Potter is just classic too. Um, and that helped me build a lot of confidence. And then eventually I switched my social impact to um, being the Dyspraxia Foundation and just advocating for that. Um, and then, as I said, like kind of realized how many more people I could affect if I broadened it a little bit and advocated for them as well. You mentioned how in your interview, they asked one question and it may have, um, I wonder if it, how it made you feel in that moment, but I also wonder if it is really out of um, ignorance, not arrogance. So just not knowing and really being curious about what it means and how it affects you. So um, I know that there are so many times that people might ask something that's unintentionally offensive, but it opens up such a great point of dialogue to have a conversation about it. So I'm so, so happy that you're championing this cause because you can really speak on it yourself um, and you can really amplify the voices of others who maybe aren't at that point yet that they're comfortable enough to talk about it. But also just thank you for sharing all of that, because I know that the journey of acceptance, especially for an invisible disability, can be very long and stressful. Um, but you are willing to have those conversations, like Megan was saying, and really able to reflect and research and dig a little bit deeper so that you could educate others. And I'm really so proud of you for being able to take that step because it's so difficult. Um, and especially now that we're able to share this story with our viewers, hopefully your story can help inspire someone others to, to take those same steps. Um, and actually it's really interesting how MAO plays a role in, in your acceptance for your own invisible disability, but how has it also shaped maybe um, your career goals or your life goals? Yeah, um, competing in the Miss America organization has given me the opportunity to meet um, so many women across our country. It's um, incredible. And just seeing how like um, furiously like they like pursue their passions really inspired me like to not put limitations on myself. Um, so I, in middle school, I talked about how badly I always wanted to work for the FBI. Like that was my <laughs> dream. It was on all my paperwork. And then as I got older, I was like, no, nah, that's a really hard thing. I don't, I don't think I could ever do that. Um, but recently I've decided again, I think that's, you know, that's where I want to end up and that's what I'm going to try to pursue. Um, and just seeing how, you know, my Miss America sisters, um, really, um, go after their dreams, maybe go after my own. Um, and just the encouragement that you can get from others in this organization is amazing. Absolutely. And I think that's something that's really beautiful that came out of COVID. I know it's been such a crazy year, but it's really given us an opportunity to connect with people that we otherwise never would have even encountered. So you're all the way in Washington on the West Coast. I'm in the, in the central area. And then Francesca's over on the East Coast. It's just amazing that we have this opportunity to talk. And even just hearing your story alone, I can say at least for myself that it inspires me. So we're really excited to hear how it inspires our viewers as well. Thank you so much. So Francesca and I are actually studying to be speech language pathologists. And you mentioned this a little bit in your elementary years when you first received a diagnosis. 
that you also receive services through. Um, but we will provide therapy for many different people who have invisible disabilities, such as apraxia of speech, dyspraxia, autism. Um, what do you think is important when working with someone with these different invisible disabilities? And how do you think therapy plays a role in becoming successful yourself? Yeah, um, so speech therapy definitely um, changed my life. It improved my confidence um, so much. Um, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today doing the things that I'm doing today if it wasn't for um, my speech therapy that I did. I started it in the third grade and did it through my sophomore year of high school. We ended up not being able to receive the services that I needed through the school anymore, um, starting in middle school. So my parents had to pay for private speech therapy, which can be quite expensive when your insurance doesn't cover it. Um, so that was, it was really financial reasons that kind of made me stop um, doing speech therapy. Like I should really be in it to this day. Um, so I think the biggest thing is when you're working with people with different disabilities, um, you know, to understand where they're coming from. So the reason I had to quit speech therapy in the school is that they got a new speech language pathologist who had never heard of apraxia of speech um, and didn't know how to treat it. So she was trying to treat me the same way um, that she was treating other kids. Like I was supposed to have individual therapy and I was in there with two or three other kids sometimes. Um, who had completely different needs as me. And um, the stuff that she was doing because it wasn't for apraxia um, was actually damaging and set me back significantly. Um, and when I tried to tell her, no, this isn't right. This isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, she told my parents that I was like very disrespectful to her, which I, if you knew me as a kid, that would have made you laugh. Like my parents were like, no way. Um, and so that, that's just what really is important is, um, I mean, I work as a children's and families uh, mental health clinician. I work as a therapist, but I'm not licensed, so I can't call myself that. Um, and when you don't understand something, it's fine to admit that you don't understand something and refer to somebody who knows better. Um, and I think just, you know, being able to overcome your pride a little bit and do that is really important. It's something I've had to do professionally um, several times when I get kids with diagnoses that I might not be qualified to help. Yeah, thank you once again for sharing that, because I think um, stories like yours are very common, unfortunately, and it's not something that many people want to talk about because they don't want to admit that you know, maybe they're not receiving the correct services for themselves, or maybe they're not providing the correct services for their clients, but it does happen. And it's important for you as a client to be able to advocate for yourself, which you have done, um, which is awesome. That is something that we always strive for our clients to do is advocate for themselves when their goal, when our goals as a speech language pathologist is not matching with your own. And we've had other guests also say that um, is something really important when giving and providing therapy is making sure that those goals are always client-centered and that we're not pushing our own agenda on our clients. Um, so it's more of the same, but it's, it's something that really needs to be hammered in our field. So thank you. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk about your talent because I'm really interested to know more. But um, what, ha uh, what is your talent and how do you use a lot utilize it to connect with people as Miss Olympics? 
Um, yeah, so historically, I've actually danced for my talent. Um, my parents, before I got my diagnosis, put me in dance lessons to help me with my coordination. Um, it didn't work. Um, I'm still very, very uncoordinated. Um, but I stuck with it throughout, you know, all of grade school and high school. Um, so I'm actually like a lot of people in Washington call me the Irish dance girl because I did Irish dancing for so many years. Um, but um, first, Miss Washington, I'm actually planning on um, reading a poem um, written by a, a kid who has a dyspraxia diagnosis as well. And he writes these amazing um, poems. Uh, and I'm trying to teach myself sign language so that I can sign it as well to make my talent uh, more inclusive for the community. I love that so much. <laughs> the therapist inside me, the clinician inside <laughs> me, is beaming because we talk a lot in speech therapy about providing different modalities of communication. That way, all of it is supplemented in some way for those that might communicate differently. So just to hear that the meaning behind your talent piece is so inspiring. I can't wait to see videos or to hear about how that goes at Miss Washington. Good luck with that. Um, okay, Thank so you. you're welcome. As Miss Olympics and a title holder, you have many responsibilities that you have to juggle. Um, what do you feel is the most important responsibility that you hold? Um, I definitely think just being a good role model. As, um, as a title holder, little kids see that crown and they look up to you. And um, I've always been somebody who's worked with kids. I used to volunteer with younger kids when I was in high school. I was a young life leader. I've worked at a middle school. I work with kids currently. Um, so I just always try to make sure that like, my social media and stuff is like always beyond reproach. Like I, um, I know that I have lies looking up to me and I want to make sure that I do a good job and I lead by example. Um, and that maybe that I can encourage, um, you know, some other kids to, you know, pursue their dreams. My, my whole thing is, you know, if I can do it, why can't you? Um, so, you know, and I've actually had that experience before of, um, a little boy um, reading my story and seeing how I was competing in a pageant. And he's like, if she can do that, why can't I um, try out for my school's football team? Um, so um, that was a really cool experience. Um, so I, yeah, that's definitely the biggest thing is just, I really wanna be a good role model for those young kids and um, help them live their dreams too. That's so funny that a young man or a young boy found inspiration in your so-called pageant success. That's really <laughs> funny. I love that. Yeah, I think that's something that as title holders, we always talk about how we can inspire young women, but we don't think about, you know, a lot of our stories apply to little boys too. Like there's no reason we can't, you know, be a role model for everyone. Right. And I think it's really remarkable that he saw that and translated it into his own passion. So that just shows how effective your reign and your service as Miss Olympics really is because you are able to adapt your message and to touch people from all different kinds of demographics and populations and ages. That's, that's truly incredible. Earlier, so I'm going to go back to something we were talking about earlier, which is autism spectrum disorders. And, and that's really our whole purpose for our spectrum Sunday series is to create more awareness and acceptance for autism. And it's often um, considered a invisible disability because 
individuals are affected neurologically and it's not a physical difference. Um, so what advice could you give to our communities to be more accepting uh, once we begin to see differences surface in people they interact with? Yeah, I think my biggest thing is always, um, you know, because with invisible disabilities, you can't see them. I often get asked like, well, then how can we support people? Um, uh, you know, just treat people how you would want to be treated. It's that golden rule is so important. You never know what somebody is going through unless they tell you. And if you haven't gone through it yourself, you can never truly understand what it is they're going through. So I would, you know, treat people like how you would want to be treated on your worst day, because you never know that person, you know, next to you at the grocery store could be living their worst day right now. Absolutely. That's such great advice. Thank you. And I know that we focus a lot on autism at Spectrum Sundays, but it's important to consider these different disabilities and thinking of all disabilities on a spectrum. So there might be the physical disabilities that are more inherently obvious to a person walking down the street. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there might be the invisible disabilities that you really won't know, maybe even until the third or fourth time you speak to somebody that you really start to pick up on some of those differences. So I think you kind of hit on something where as those start to service, surface and people start to realize it, don't start acting different towards them just because you're, you're picking up on these differences. Embrace that as something that's, that should be celebrated because they really should be. So the goal of Spectrum Sundays is to raise awareness for and connect the autism community, but we also really wanna connect the disability community as a whole. So as you have been advocating for many years for acceptance, we would like to know how acceptance and inclusion has impacted your own life. Um, yeah, so, you know, one thing is when you're not open with disclosing your disability to other people, people can't um, accommodate for you. So like I was saying, I did dance lessons um, for most of my life. Um, um, most of the people that I did dance lessons with didn't know about my disability. So I always had to work twice as hard to be half as good as the other girls in my class. Um, and it wasn't until, um, you know, finally, um, when I first started advocating for dyspraxia awareness that my current dance teacher learned that I had this disability and she was actually able to start working with me more one-on-one -on -one and kind of, um, you know, changing the way that she taught to better fit my my needs. And if I had just, you know, let her know about that sooner, uh, things could have been a lot easier for me. So the fact that there are people out there who are so willing to accommodate for you once they know is incredible. Um, conversely, though, there are a lot of places that are not willing to accommodate for you. So I understand why so many people are hesitant to disclose their own um, diagnosis. Like, when I apply for jobs, I never check that little box that says that I have a disability because even though it is illegal to discriminate in hiring, I'm always so scared that if I check that box that I'm not gonna get the job. Um, but at the same time, if you don't check that box and you end up needing an accommodation, you can't get it. Um, so it is really important. Um, that we advocate for you know, inclusion and acceptance more because people shouldn't be afraid to check that box. Um, people should be able to disclose their disability to their employers and get accommodations. And I've always been very lucky to have employers that will accommodate for me, but I know that there are a lot out there that aren't so lucky. Yeah, and I think um, I'm really glad that you're hitting on this theme of 
advocating for yourself because it is so important and it's not something that can just be easily taught, but I think in sharing your personal experiences of advocating in different ways, hopefully our viewers will learn how to implement those same strategies in their own life. And um, unfortunately, some of those problems that you're explaining may still occur in the future, but hopefully less and less as people start advocating for themselves more. Um, but what do you think is one idea or message that you'd like our viewers to take away from our conversation today? I think the biggest thing is um, when you have any sort of um, disability diagnosis, um, you get told a lot about the things that you can and can't do. Um, the world is going to put a lot of limitations on you, so don't put those limitations on yourself. There's no reason to. If you want to do something, you can find your own way to do it. Don't let the world tell you that you can't, and especially don't let yourself tell you that you can't. Absolutely. We only believe as much as we tell ourselves day in, day in and day out. So the more that we tell ourselves that there are things that we can accomplish, and if it's it's a passion of ours and it's something that we dream about every day don't ever give up on that and especially do not let society put you in a box that says that you can't accomplish the things that you're reaching for um okay so as miss olympics there are many things that you do for your social impact initiative and covid kind of put a spin on things so maybe it looks different now but what are some upcoming events that you have planned for your social impact whether that's in person or virtually yeah, um, primarily right now, it's all virtually. Everything's still pretty shut down um, where I'm at. So um, like I said, I've been uh, participating in the Visible Disabilities Awareness Week on my social media pages. So um, I'll be doing videos, you know, um, well, today's last day. So today, um, and then just as um, other awareness months and things come up, I like to try to um, advocate for those, you know, different things. Um, so a lot of social media posts is what we have right now. Um, I am really looking forward to things opening back up again because I'd really like to get into schools and be able to talk to students about the importance of, you know, being kind to one another and acceptance. Um, uh, that's, that's ideal, but I don't know when that's going to be able to happen in my area. <laughs> Hopefully soon, or hopefully it'll be sooner than we think. But uh, I think so far what you have been doing on social media has really been making an impact. And even if it just impacts one person, I feel like that is a huge success in itself. So thank you for everything you've been doing so far in your year, going on two years. And for any of our viewers who wish to follow you and see what you've been doing with your social impact initiative, where can they find you? Is it a website, Instagram, Facebook? Yeah, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter um, at Miss Olympics Wa um, is my title holder page. I also do advocacy on uh, my personal pages as well, um, which is at Kylie Diane 96. Um, so yeah, you can follow me there. I don't have a website or anything because I am not that um, technology savvy. So I stick with the social media, even though I'm still trying to figure that out as well. <laughs> Honestly, social media is so big that it could basically be a website. So you're right on track. <laughs> well, we hope that everybody has enjoyed this conversation. We certainly have, Kylie. Thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your struggles and your successes so that whoever is watching can be inspired as well. 
We cannot wait to watch your journey to Miss Washington and we will be cheering for you the entire way. And we wish you the best of luck in all of your endeavors. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, thank you everybody for watching. We will see you next week on Spectrum Sundays.